morning, welcome here again, and uh, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to all those that are listening online. Glad you have found us. Uh, my name is Eldon. I'm lead pastor here, and uh, just a reminder that you can uh, catch up with all the previous messages in this series and other series by going to cdac.ca/messages or. Just use your favorite po podcast and you can catch up. Uh, in your program this morning are some sermon notes. You can also see them on the screen. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can go use the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, just click More, click Events, Circle Drive will come up. You can save those. You can share them. And if you scroll to the bottom of those notes, you'll find Parent Queue, which is really important for grandparents and parents to keep the conversation that the kids are having backstage going all week long. Now, if you are a parent or you are a grandparent, you understand the difficulty of saying no to your child. Uh, our granddaughter was over the, this week, and, and uh, by the time I got there, Bev had said yes to a few of, of the treats, and then, of course... She wanted more bear uh, gummies or something. And, you know, my wife reminded Adeline that she already had a couple. And then Grandma went into the cupboard anyways and got some more. You know, it is really difficult to say no, isn't it? Especially with your children. With grandchildren, you can spoil them and send them home. But with your kids... It is really difficult to say no. Uh, because I think sometimes with kids, they really don't understand your reason. And uh, I said so doesn't really cut it all that well. Now, we have a heavenly father. And sometimes we make requests that seem reasonable to us. But God says, no. We say to him, I want a job. God, I want some wheels. God, help me to close the deal. God, give me a date this weekend. These are not unreasonable requests that we ask for. God, I want my child to come home. God, I want my marriage to heal. These are really not bad things. Now, you may be a Christian, or you may be from some other religious system. You may not be even sure that there is a God, but at some point, most of us have cried out to God, and we receive silence in return. So what do you do when God says no? What do you do when you feel there is no answer coming back and nothing changes? And this is what we want to talk about this morning. We've been saying the last few weeks that the foundation of our faith is not an experience. It's not answered prayer. It is a person. We looked at this. It was Jesus Christ who came out of the grave alive and was seen by people after he had come out and they knew he was risen. He was no longer dead. So regardless of your religious orientation, all of us have 
have to try and figure out what God is like based on the way we observe circumstances. We try to get God or we try to get karma or the universe to work in our favor. We want to believe things will work out. We have this in, inner desire and need for that to happen. But throughout the series, we have been saying this. When faith is based on your circumstances changing, it is called circumstantial faith, but it is not biblical faith. And if your circumstances do not change, you are tempted to think that God doesn't care, God doesn't know me, God is powerless, or I've ticked him off. But the fact that Jesus rose, he died for on the cross and rose again is the basis of the Christian faith. When we trust in what he has done, this is faith. He gives us salvation. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us eternal life. But ultimately, salvation by faith is not so much an experience. Sometimes an experience will jumpstart your faith, but the basis of our faith is based on what Christ has done on the cross and that he has come out of the grave alive. So we have been working with this definition of faith. Faith is confidence that God is who he said he is and he will do everything he has promised to do. This is a really important definition. You don't get God to do something because of your faith. Faith is not a lasso around God's neck and you're pulling him down with your prayers and your good works. Rather, it is faith in the promises of God that he will do everything he has promised to do. Everything short of the promises is simply hope. That's hope. I hope to get a job. I hope things work out. So last week we talked about the importance of the promises of God. Today I want to circle back to when God does not give you what you hope for. So what do you do in that case? You can plead with God, but sometimes even your pleading does not work. So let's face it, maybe your story is this that you trusted God, he didn't come through for you, so you've walked away. You've walked away from your faith. You may still attend church, you may still go through some of the routines, but you've, for all practical purposes, ceased to believe in God. Because you were taught that if you prayed hard enough, God would come through for you. So when God seems inattentive and inactive and doesn't listen to our prayers, we wonder, is there a God or am I just talking to the air? And this can be so devastating. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in just a moment. Now, this passage was written by a famous guy, by the name of the Apostle Paul. And he wrote about half of the New Testament and explains 
what we should do when God says no. Paul was responsible for taking the message of Jesus outside of Jerusalem to the Jews, or to, rather to the Gentiles. His disciples, Jesus' disciples, kind of got comfortable in Jerusalem. You know, they wanted to stay there, so finally God worked it that there was a persecution that sent them out. But they just weren't, you know, interacting with the Gentiles. They were not taking the gospel, as Jesus had said, to the Gentile people. So one day, God sits down with Jesus, and he says, now, this really didn't happen except in my imagination. So here it is. He said, God says to Jesus, what are your guys doing? Right? They're, they're, they're not doing what I told them to do. Your followers won't move out of Jerusalem. They won't move to, uh, to the Gentiles. So I want you to get Saul of Tarsus to be on your team. And Jesus says, Saul, he's killing our people. He's got letters to, you know, root out all these Christians and put them to death. And, and God says to Jesus, exactly, exactly. That's the kind of guy we want. We want him on our team. Go get him. So what happened? Jesus meets him on the Damascus Road. Saul of Tarsus had letters of, of permission from the emperor to go round up the Christians and kill them or persecute them. And there, Jesus gives him this blinding light that he fell to the ground. He fell off his horse to the ground. He can't see. He hears a voice. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the instruction was that he was to go into town and wait. And while he was in bed trying to recover from this dramatic event, this, this encounter with Jesus Christ, another guy, Ananias, Jesus speaks to him and says, I want you to go into the town. And Saul of Tarsus is there. I want you to pray for him and, and he says, what? If, if you give him a sight back and he sees me, he'll kill me. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I want you to go and pray for this guy. And he did. Saul gets his sight back. He's all revved up about Jesus Christ. And he becomes this great apostle. His name is changed from Saul to Paul. And Paul became the number one advocate for Christianity, even though he started out his life trying to stamp out Christianity. And the message of the resurrection of Christ spread, and it had extraordinary impact, not only then, but even until this day. All over the world, there are Christian people, thanks to the efforts of the Apostle Paul, I mean, he was one of God's favorite. Now, this is weird, but it says that God gave Paul some kind of physical afflic affliction that was so severe, it ensured he would never become arrogant or self-sufficient. No matter how great things would, would go for his ministry, 
there would be something that would keep Paul centered. And, and so things were great. People were being healed. He performed miracles. There was great success among the Gentile people. There were churches being started all through the Mediterranean rim. So we pick up the story from here. And we find out that even though he was successful, he had something to deal with. And in, verse, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, Therefore, this is Paul writing, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, theologians have tried to figure out what this was, and there were all kinds of theories. Some, everything from epilepsy to, to bad eyesight to something really embarrassing that maybe like colitis or something. And everyone agrees that there was something physical that tormented Paul. In other parts of, of Paul's writings, he says he describes himself as unimpressive and unattractive. So there was really nothing that seemed very special about Paul. So when you read the book of Acts, and, and you should really read this story in Acts, we learn that there's that his life, there's no doubt that Paul had extraordinary faith. He was beaten. To an inch, within an inch of his life, he was left for dead, shipwrecked, imprisoned for what he said about Jesus Christ. He ended up dying in a prison for what he believed, yet he was 100% sold out to Jesus Christ. In verse 8, it says, this is Paul talking again, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now think about this. Now this wasn't just, you know, I prayed Monday, I prayed Tuesday, I prayed, prayed Wednesday and gave up. This was three intense seasons of fasting and prayer where he got so desperate about the pain. He said, God, you have to do something about my life. What This thing that you've given to me is unbearable. It's hard enough to do this work without the pain. Would you please take this away? And it says that God refused. He refuses. It is like the healer. Paul, the healer, can't even heal himself. Now, I find this so helpful because Paul is the guy with ultimate faith. So if, happen, if this happens to Paul, it is somewhat of a comfort to me. Some of you begin to wonder if God knows your name and if you even exist. God's silence can be mistaken for God's absence. Paul, the superhero Christian had, that had more to do with the spread of Christianity than any other person in the world, he's kind of the Christian rock star. Like he's the guy. No one had more faith than Paul, yet with all of that faith and with all of that confidence, there was no answer. And here is what we learn from Paul. Verse 9, he said, My grace, whose grace? God's grace. 
My grace is sufficient for you. And that's what really we talked about last Sunday and where we ended off, that God's grace gives power and it gives energy in our time of need so that we can endure difficult circumstances. And God was saying to Paul that grace is available to every single person who will lean hard on God. That's the person that God gives grace. There is power when we bump up against our weaknesses and something that does not change in our life. What happens in your life when God says no? You shake your fist and walk away, or do you say, God, I accept no for the answer. But since you will not change things for me, will you give me grace? Will you give me grace to go through this difficult thing? Now notice the next phrase. It says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Perfect in weakness. And God is saying that people will be astounded that you speak with such authority that you can spread the message to the whole world. And people will know it is God in you. It is not your human strength. So Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, why for Christ's sake, I delight, not I, I acquiesce, not in, that I will grumble, but I will delight in the weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. In other words, I decided to quit asking God to heal me, and I will settle for the fact that I will carry this with the rest of my life, and every day I will wake up and say, God, you know my struggle. You know my struggle. I trust you for your grace. Can I ask you a question? Do you remember a time when you got yourself into trouble and you dug a hole and you realized you were about to fall in? Like, oh no, I think I'm pregnant. Or, oh no, I see the cops. Where is it? Under the seat or in the trunk? You're in math class and you remember something's in your jean pockets and your mom is doing laundry, right? And you pray, oh God, help her not to find it. Oh God, help those police not to see it. And you pray. In those moments, you find yourself praying, please, God, rescue me. God, it's my fault. And you are in church today, and you're like, God, I'm in church. Please, please, please. I've dug a hole. Help me not to fall in. And in these moments, you find yourself in extreme dependency on God. You're trusting God to rescue you. God may have answered your prayers in the past, but it, it hasn't changed you. You still dig more holes. You're still not dependent. And Paul is saying, you know what God's decided in this particular case with my weakness? 
He wants me to live every single day dependent on him. That's what he wants. He wants me to be overwhelmed with his presence in my weakness. And God decided to allow Paul to go his whole life and never fill in the gap with Paul's own strength. And Paul decided to fill in the gap with God's strength, with his strength. And listen to what Paul concludes. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This was his conclusion. And sometimes God opts for dependence rather than healing. He wants us to be daily dependent rather than fine in the eyes of the world. And here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. Your greatest weakness is God's greatest opportunity to show himself strong in you. Your greatest weakness is God's greatest opportunity to show himself strong in you. Your greatest weakness could be the relationship that is blowing up or the financial pressure or my kids are on the wrong track and I cry myself to sleep. The point of your greatest tension where you cry out, God, why don't you do something about my condition? Where are you? Paul says instead of shaking your fist and walking away, why don't you bend your knee and lean hard into God and trust God for his empowering grace? As a pastor, I see this all the time. One person will lean hard into God, even though nothing changes, but they will have grace to endure. Another says, if that's the way you are, God, I'm bailing. And you know what? Nothing gets better. It usually gets worse. And they don't experience enduring grace. They may turn to alcohol or drug, chemical dependency to endure or go from relationship to relationship to endure or car to car or job to job or city to city. What they turn to does not soothe their ache. Philip Yancey writes these words. The only thing worse than disappointment with God is disappointment without God. The only thing worse than disappointment with God is disappointment without God. And maybe that's why you're back in church today. You're giving Christ another shot because you've done life without God so long and you don't know what you're doing and it hasn't made your life any better. Taking the bull by the horns is not resolved. In fact, your life may now be more complicated. And here's the good news. God's enabling grace is available to you. Empowering grace is sufficient and available if you come back to Him and you lean hard on Him. This is the great promise of God. We, we came to this verse last week where there was an invitation to come boldly to the throne of grace. And every single time 
you will find grace and mercy in your time of need. God promises to empower you when He says no to your request. When God says no, it is not a reflection of your faith. Your weakness is really the opportunity. It takes a lot more faith to endure a no that may last your whole life. That takes more faith than God saying yes to your request. Now some of us here this morning only want a God that says yes. But trust me when I say that you really want a God that Scripture describes. A God who is not you. A God who is totally other than us, yet loves us enough to send His Son to die for us. You want a powerful God who knows everything about life, about the world, who is so far away from you that you are nothing like this God, yet He has chosen to lean in your direction if you lean towards Him. God sent His Son into this world to experience life like all of us have experienced it. So when you say to God, my heart is broken, my life is, is broken, God can say, I know. I know what that's like. That's the kind of God you want. A God that allows sin to have consequences so you learn something about life. You want a God that allows events to play out themselves so there's predictability and not so much randomness. A God that digs deep into your life and into the center of your pain and weakness and gives you strength when you need it. You can spend the rest of your life shaking your fist at God and never experience grace. And life will not get better. In fact, it might get a lot worse. And there will be no answers to life. You will just create more and more complications. Or, at the point of your brokenness, you can look towards God and you can find grace that will be sufficient for you. You may be like the prodigal who wandered away from the Father, heart of God, and God the Father is facing towards you with open arms and He's ready to accept you back. Your greatest weakness is God's greatest opportunity if you will learn to just trust and choose Jesus Christ. So I want to close this service by asking you this morning if you would indicate your need of God's grace. Perhaps there's something going on in your life right now and it probably won't change, might even get worse. And I don't want this moment to be uncomfortable for you, but I've also learned something. I've learned that sometimes people need to do something publicly to demonstrate their need of Christ. When our desperation factor exceeds our pride, we become candidates for God's grace. And I think uh, sometimes to just get over our self-consciousness and say, that is for me. God's grace is for me. And I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care if anybody sees me. 
God, I need you in that moment. So I'm going to ask you if you need God's grace to endure. I'm going to ask you in a moment just to raise your hand and we will pray for you. And then I'm going to ask if you see somebody with a raised hand, if you feel comfortable enough, if you would just reach out and touch that person's shoulder, their arm, and say, I'm praying for you. Because there's many here this morning who have been living with disappointment and pain and difficulty for too many years, and you've never admitted publicly that you need God's grace and you need the prayers of God's people. The truth is that if you are not someone who is desperate for God today, you will be desperate tomorrow. At some point, all of us in life bump up against our limitations and our weaknesses, and we either gain faith or we lose faith. So today, I'm going to ask you, if you are a candidate for God's grace and you need God's grace, you're dealing with stuff and it's hard and it feels hopeless and you need prayer, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and say, God, I need you. And I need your prayer this morning. All over this auditorium, yes, yes. There are people saying, yes, I need God's grace. And so as we see the hands upstretched, I'm going to ask that you, the people around you would just put a hand on their shoulder. You might need to move around in order to just put a hand on their shoulder or on their arm and say, today, I'm going to pray for you. And so would you bow with me as we trust God, as we admit that we need God's grace and we need the prayers of God's people. Father, thank you for these people, me included, who are saying, I need your grace. I need your power. I feel weak and broken. In days I feel hopeless, and I need you. And God, I'm trusting that you will give to each of us who have our hand outstretched to you. You would give us, as you have promised, grace to endure. And this morning, we lean hard into you. We have been pleading that you would remove this thing or you would heal this thing or you would change this thing. And it seems like you're saying no. And so I know you promised in that condition, you will give us grace to endure. And so we trust you. And we ask that you would do that. Thank you that you're going to go with us. And you're going to strengthen us. And you will give us enabling grace and strengthening to endure in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you just to remain seated for a moment because I've asked that this song be sung because the Jesus we follow, the Jesus that extends the grace that we've asked,
wants to be king in your life. And he wants to be the powerful one in your life. And as you listen to the words of this song, may you receive the king, Jesus Christ, who will give you the enabling grace for each day.
Amen. Our God is uh, stronger and greater than your circumstances. He's over them all. And if your circumstances don't change, let's remember he's the king. And he gives us grace and enduring power. May you experience that this week as you leave this place. There will be people here at the front if you want to talk to them and pray. You might have questions or uh, need of prayer and we're available. Common Ground is, is closed this morning. If you're visiting, so glad you were here this morning. There's a book that we want to leave with you as you leave this morning. Go in God's strength. Experience His grace and His power. God bless you.